everybody. Hello. Welcome to Top Shelf. Sorry, I nearly missed my opening. Thanks. That's nice. <laughs> As usual, I am Lindsay. I am Jeff. And Karen is here with us today. Hello. Hi, Karen. Hi. Special guest episode. Spe- special guest. Our vintage movie aficionado, Karen Severson. <laughs> You're not supposed to use my last name. Oh, no. We're supposed to use our last name. Oh, no. It's spelled with an I. Anyway. <laughs> this week's film is number 98 on our list, and it is Yankee Doodle Dandy from 1942, starring most notably James Cagney. James Cagney. Who most people know from, like, gangster films from early in Hollywood's um, history. History. The Public Enemy is a uh, James Cagney film, as is Angels with Dirty Faces. Yes. Which I always want to say is Angels with Filthy Souls, because that's the name of the movie from Home Alone. But it's not that. That movie was referencing... Merry Christmas, you filthy animal. (laughs) Was referencing the James Cagney type movies. This is true. Yes, and most people do realize that most people know James Cagney from those films. Karen, however, on the other hand... Yes, apparently Karen (laughs) knows him from other things. Yes. She knows knows him from this movie, right? All singing, all dancing. Yes, that's true. And at one point, I got really confused because I didn't realize that it was the same James Cagney that I remember dancing, who was also in these these gangster films, I'm like, there must be another Cagney out there. Well, it, it was the same person. And I'm pretty sure you and I had the same response where we only know him from Bro. those movies. Bro. I'm still trying to wrap my mind around <laughs> So to see him singing and dancing is kind of weird. I don't think I've ever seen him in a gangster movie, just says. Once again, to give a Disney reference, because a lot of my basic knowledge of movies comes from the great movie ride at <laughs> Disney MGM Studios or Disney Hollywood Studios, depending MGM on what Studios. you want to call it. Um, thank you, Jeff. Yep. Um, <laughs> uh, if At the very beginning of the ride, they do the whole, you know, gangster movies from the early 1900s, and that's, you know, there's an animatronic James Cagney who comes up and holds up your car. It scared the crap out of me as a kid, because, you know, when you're little, you don't realize that they're animatronic and not real yes because great movie right actually has some real actors and then animatronic people as well it has been funnier if it actually was james cagney (laughs) that's what he did for the end of his life oh god i had not been to for those who who don't know which is probably mostly audience james cagney died in 1986 yes so he was alive you know into some of our lifetimes yes died like six months before i was born but i was two when he died I'm that tells old. you how old we are. Yay! <laughs> Yay. We keep This is the podcast that. of personal information. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay, so anyways. So moving into the film, yes. since that's what this podcast is ultimately about. What are we starting with? Um, well, we're going to do, sorry, talking points for everybody listening. We're going to do the synopsis, the awards, and it's um, not cultural significance, more so it's really relationship to history and a little bit to politics, at least uh, George Cohen's. Co- sorry, George Cohan's um, relationship to politics. I'm going to keep calling it Cohen the entire time. Don't call it Cohen. That's not Cohen. Not okay. yeah. Then we'll move into trivia, as per usual, yep. which will be mostly me. Jeff has a little bit for awards and yeah. technology. Yeah, there's, sadly, there's a little bit of technology, but not much. Not, not a whole lot for this movie. That's we'll a... see how long this ends up being. We don't have a lot to to speak about. A lot. And then we will go into ranking and our personal thoughts on the film to close it out. Yes. So, so I'm going to give, I'm going to paraphrase the synopsis I found. 
Movie opens in the early days of World War II, where George Cohan has come out of retirement to star as President Roosevelt in a Rodgers and Hart musical called I'd Rather Be Right. After the first night it opens, he is summoned to meet the president at the White House, who presents him with the Congressional Medal of Honor, or sorry, the Congressional Gold Medal. Um, as we will discuss throughout the podcast, this is a historical anachronism, as this happened several years before this musical. He was in this musical. Yeah, there's some glitch, some not glitches, there's some issues. Issues, anachronism. Still. Call them anachronism, that's what they are. That's or a big total, word. total. Anachronism means something has happened. Look it up. <laughs> look, it up. look it up. I know what it means, just look it up. Um, Cohan then starts to chat with President Roosevelt, and the film then flashes back to his early days on the stage. Uh, Cohan was allegedly born on July 4th, and his uh, parents are vaudeville actors. And uh, after his sister is born, they join the family stage act and um sorry i have like a sliver of something in my hand and it really no i have like a piece oh of plastic gosh. like do, embedded do, in my hand it hurt i'm good no i'm good okay. now sorry um Just they concerned. form no no it's good uh like bleeding out the hand a they they form the four co-hands and begin performing successfully george becomes too big for his britches as he grows up Ooh. and is blacklisted by theatrical producers for being basically a pain in the ass he at least Excuse me, the act, and then begins to uh, try and get in with producers, which is he's ultimately unsuccessful in. He then partners up with another struggling writer named Sam Harris, and they they together finally introduce, or interest a producer. Sorry, I got introduced from interest and producer. And they start their road to success. He then marries a woman named Mary, and she... Convenient. she is in some of his shows and sings for them and stuff. He begins um, to... He is really successful for a very long time. Ends up getting his... Uh, his parents are struggling because Vaudeville is kind of on its way out in to uh, repl- be replaced by Broadway, Broadway musicals as we come to know them more or less. And um, he ends up giving them half a partnership in all of his uh, theatrical properties, including... Their theaters, all the songs, all the shows, basically anything that has his name on it or he owns is half his parents. Um, He eventually decides he wants to get out of the theater game, retires, but returns to the stage several times where he culminates the role of I'd Rather Be Right. And that's more or less where the movie ends, with him finishing up his conversation with uh, President... I'm blanking. Roosevelt, thank you. Thank you, Karen. Thank you. This is why Karen Karen is here. (laughs) To remember the stuff that I forgot. (laughs) Um, Actually, there's a cute little thing at the end of the little button at the end of the movie that I'll just point out for our listeners who may not have watched it, which we just did. Um, Yes, we watched the entire film. He comes down the steps of the White House and walks outside, and there's a military parade going on where the soldiers are singing the song Over There, which um, I almost said Cagney. Cohan wrote, not knowing that Cohan is the song's composer, they jokingly invite him to join in, which he does, and that's where the movie ends. Yeah. It was a very good movie. That's not where we are in our discussion points. I'm sorry. A little teaser for later. It was a it's very a, good it's movie. It's a good movie. I enjoyed I will continue this, this later. <laughs> so that's that's basically the synopsis. It's a little longer than what we normally do, but... It was a long movie. It was a long it's movie. a two-hour movie. I didn't expect... But it didn't feel it's like not, it. It's not. It did not feel like it. No. Again, we're jumping ahead in our talking <laughs> points. 
keep on track. I'm trying to keep on track. Keep, keep on going. track. Keep on track. Um, I did a little bit of a longer synopsis for our listeners because it is possible that they have not seen it or had the opportunity to see it. It is not widely available. I mean, we got it from the public library, yeah, which can. most public libraries will most likely have it, but this isn't something you're going to just whip up streaming on Netflix. on Netflix. But only through the DVD. Right, that's why I said. It's yeah, not it's streaming not video, on Netflix. It's not video on demand. But if you, if you ha- do that option... Yes, well, we generally point that out, but it's not streaming on Netflix. It's most likely not on Hulu. Probably available on Amazon, possibly. Uh, To purchase? Yeah, to purchase. Might be able to. Or even, like, their digital, like, video rental thing. Sorry, not their instant video, but maybe their, their rental. Yep, it's available on DVD. And it is on instant video. You can rent it for $3 if you're interested. Yep. So I highly recommend. So, moving forward, we are now on to um, awards and some history and a little bit of technology. Yes, yes. If you would like to go go forward with that, Jeffrey. So with this one, Yankee Doodle Dandy. We said the full title, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. For some reason, I don't remember saying it. No, Yankee um, Doodle Dandy. Yankee Doodle Dandy actually won over the course of its, of its lifespan from the time that it came out until present it has been nominated for 10 awards 10 major awards uh eight of those were academy awards when the film first came out it was nominated for best writing for an original story best actor in a leading role which was james cagney best music best sound best actor in a supporting role best film editing best director and best picture so it was one of those where it kind of sweeped the whole nomination whole awards um now it didn't win for every one of those it only won three awards which was uh best sound best music and then james cagney won an oscar for best actor in a leading role and it is and i stole you from having this trivia no, it's uh <laughs> it's, technically, it's it technically awards part of the awards it was uh james cagney's only or first and only oscar that he ever won for this film and having seen the movie i understand why uh and then one of the other major awards that it received understand why he got one yes why not, he got one not why it was his only not why it was only yes thank you for clarifying that <laughs> <laughs> he was good okay um, and then uh, the other major award was that in 1993 the movie was entered into the national film registry which like we mentioned on toy story that means that the movie will always be preserved you there will always be a copy of yankee doodle dandy for now until forever uh so future generations will be able to enjoy it and it yeah I'm glad they did that. Uh, that's kind of up for awards because again, it wasn't a movie. I mean, it was highly celebrated when it came out. It just didn't have a uh, like long over the years, you know, winning more awards for any reason. Uh, technology in the film. Uh, this will also be short. Just kind of two little points. One's kind of not necessarily technology, but it's still very cool. Okay. Um, the first one was that in 1986, Yankee Doodle Dandy was the first film that used the computer colorization technique that was uh, released by Ted Turner. So Ted Turner, big television mongol. I colorize the moon. <laughs> That's my favorite thing from Family Guy ever. So, it, meaning that they, it was the first movie where they put it into a computer and digitally colorized it. Now, I've never seen the colorized version. I know some of those were not the world's greatest tech, not greatest things. I've seen a lot of like colorized, like Gilligan's Island. Did they Islands. colorize It's a Wonderful Life? Ah, uh, yes, yes, they did. And so it's, it's it's also colorized holiday. I will say this: this movie looks really good in black and white, and I would prefer it to be black and white. I don't know if it would look good as a colored movie, but it was Do the we first. Do we know film. 
if they preserved it in the registry in black and white or in color? Uh, if it's the National Film Registry, they should have preserved it in the black and white format. Because okay. the colorization thing was something that Ted Turner just did for gotcha. movies that he wanted to do it for, basically. Got you. So if, if I mean, I don't know for 100%, but I'm pretty sure that they wouldn't preserve the colorized version. Because um, this sets are all about, like, heritage, and this is, the, you know, the original film. I couldn't imagine that they would do that for it. Um, the other technology thing, not necessarily anything created or, or entirely original for the film, but just a really cool shot that I know Karen and I were talking about. So cool. Um, there's a point in the film. I was on the phone. Yeah, sorry. Lindsay was out of, on the phone. Uh, about two thirds of the way through the movie, three quarters of the way through the movie ish. 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 There's kind of like a montage that spans about maybe ten years or so, maybe seven eight years in, in the movie. And what it's done is it's it's telling the story of all these musicals that. Uh, Cohan wrote uh, and and performed, and it's this long camera shot of like a New York, like Broadway sky, uh, like 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 streets, and it's all lit up at night, and it's all these marquees of all the different shows and all the different performances and plays, and it just keeps panning across all these signs, and it keeps going back and forth, and it's all one very long shot. Now in 1942. That's crazy awesome that they were able to pull it off, and it was very impressive, and it went on for two to three minutes or so. Like it, I mean, it was a lot longer of a shot than I expected it to. Normally back then, they would have cut it after 10 seconds after it panned over to the right, and then that would have been it. But it was a, it was a very, very impressive, very long shot that told the story, told, you know, a passing of time, and it did an excellent, excellent job for it. So I, I give them, it's like I said, it's not really something that they created or invented, but it was just very, very interesting from a technological standpoint. For the era that this was from, it was a very, very well done. I think that special qualifies as, as technology because it's kind point of, of interest a, for technology yeah. and and the film. I didn't have a whole lot for this one. No, so there's I wanted not to try a whole to, lot used. Try to buffer it. Uh, there's won't. not a whole lot to say about technology. Do I don't know. In 1942, stage. So that was pretty. Okay. That is true. Yes, I was very impressed <laughs> by all the giant set pieces <laughs> that were supposed to be these shows. Like giant boats floating off and like like a full size. They train. did that on stage then. Though. I know, but they I was, used to stage train crashes I was and so battleship battles. It was very with water impressive. on the stage. True but, story. And I give them huge credit for it. Like that they. I mean, I, I you know, even in 1942, I guess not. It's not that big of a big of a deal because yes, they like you said they were always doing it. But I guess in my head, I'm sitting there going, "Well, they, I could I couldn't imagine going to a show nowadays and having." You know, a full-size train car being pushed off the side of the tra- of the stage like that. <laughs> Let alone where the hell they kept it backstage when it wasn't being used. <laughs> that's all I want to know. So, but uh, so that's kind of all I have really for awards and technology. Okay. So, I will give it back to Lindsay. I have some stuff on history. It actually has a little bit more to do with James Cagney, but it is indeed related to um, the movie itself. There's a popular myth about this movie, which, according to, I believe it is Wikipedia. So take yeah, it with a grain of like, salt. For, to take this with a grain <laughs> of salt, hence why it's a myth. Because, you know, this kind of history, I'm going to do a little bit of myth and urban legend and whatnot. Um, this movie was apparently, allegedly, written in response to accusations that James Cagney was a communist. Oh. Supposedly, Cagney learned that he was in danger of being blacklisted for having communist sympathies, and so he decided to make the most jingoistic, patriotic movie he possibly could and clear his name. 
This is the podcast of big words, by the way. It is gigantic words. Uh, gigantic is the biggest word you'll hear come out of my so, mouth. So, the reason this myth doesn't really work out so much is that it's the chronology is screwed up. Because the McCarthy era Red Scare didn't start till the early 1950s. And then the second Red Scare, which... Okay, I don't know why it's called the second Red Scare since it happened before. But anyway... <laughs> Um, it didn't begin <laughs> until cool. the late 1940s, which was quite a f- it was eight years after the film was made. Film was released in 1942. Um, Cagney was apparently accused of being a communist in a California grand jury trial in 1940, which ha- apparently had some influence on the story. Huh. Apparently, the DVD goes into this in more detail. There's a special feature on it. Apparently, Congressman Martin... I believe it's Diaz, but it might be Dyes, was investigating possible communist influence in Hollywood in 1940. And he met with Cagney, and Cagney reassured him that uh, though he was liberal and supported Roosevelt's New Deal, he was also a patriot who had nothing to do with communism. That was the end of it, apparently. Except that Cagney's uh, brother, who's also his producer and apparently also his manager... Um, saw that saw the Cohan story as a good opportunity to dispel any possible concerns about Cagney's loyalty. It was not written in response to the investigation, as Cohan himself had been shopping his own story around for a while before Jack Warner brought the bought the rights, and Cohan retained final approval on all aspects of the film. Also, another interesting point of trivia for the history of this movie. Um, it's pointed out in the DVD special that. Production on this film was just a few days old when the attack on Pearl Harbor occurred. So the film's cast and crew resolved to make an uplifting patriotic film. It was time to open around Memorial Day in 1942 and was regarded as having achieved its goal in grand fashion. Told ya. I can see that. It was a very, very, very patriotic film. And yeah. Because here's some songs that are in this film. Yes. Um, Over there. Yes. Grand Old Flag. (laughs) Uh, Yankee Doodle Dandy. Which so, is not the Yankee Doodle song we all know. It's no. different. It's the same two in different words. So basically, they they made a movie that you said it was in production prior to the Pearl Harbor attack. Very, it, very, it was, it was very, very early. early in its production. So yeah, they basically went okay. It didn't what, say they were filming. It said production. What better way? We know what better movie to make than a movie that's gonna get that's gonna rally the American spirit again and. Yeah, because the movie took place during World War One. That was kind of the main, or not not the entire thing, but like like a chunk of it was all was was during World War One. So obviously, yeah, it would be a great time to release this film and get people back in the spirit because yep. the same stuff happening in World War One could apply to stuff happening with World War Two. Yep. So yeah, yeah. it was good. Pl- it was good marketing planning. Technically, it was um, it was Warner good planning Brothers on Warner part. Brothers' oh, part. Yes. Point, maybe you should point out it's a Warner Brothers film. Yes. We should keep track of those. <laughs> yes, we should. Um, so are we on a trivia, I guess? I think we're on a trivia, okay. yeah. We're kinda we're gonna I don't along. have a whole lot of trivia for this, and I actually have a little bit of trivia more on James Cagney than on the film itself. Okay. But um apparently Fred Astaire was first offered the leading role but turned it down. Um George M. Cohan. Fred Astaire would have sucked in that role. <laughs> Karen's personal opinion on this. Yeah, I, I felt I felt he I did, did a I good. I love yeah. Fred Astaire. Okay. That would have been horrible. Um, I'm trying to save all of my talking for the the last portion. George M. Cohan chose James Cagney to play him, so he handpicked him. 
Many facts were changed to or ignored to add to the feel of the movie. For example, the real George M. Cohan was married twice. He's only married once in the film. And although his second wife's middle name was Mary, she went by her first name Agnes. So apparently he was never actually married to a woman named Mary. In fact, the movie deviated so far from the truth that following the premiere, the real George M. Cohan commented, it was a good movie. Who is it about? (laughs) Always good. But at least he enjoyed the movie. (laughs) In fact, we comment a little bit of a spoiler, but not really. His, his father passes away. I yes. mean, that's not really a spoiler as... In a lot are, of these movies... We are mortal and people pass people away. People pass away. They mention that um, as his father is dying that his mother and his sister have both already died. And I went... We were watching the movie and I went... And where did they address that exactly? Because <laughs> it was literally a line. It was a line of dialogue. That was it. You yeah, saw it everybody was, alive. It was during when you were on the phone. It was during the, the time passing. That's when they addressed the sister and the mom died. That they did? It, yep. I was geeking out was about the part, shot. It was part of um, his narration. Oh, was it? Oh, okay. See, I, compl- I missed yeah, that, Well, too. apparently like, I wasn't paying like, attention. Uh, Why did you not bring this up gone. when we were talking about it after <laughs> the fact, when we said where I thought you were paying attention mentioned. to the movie. I'm sorry. I was on the phone. <laughs> but still, it's still, it's, 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 down, it's not downgraded, but it's regulated to a a couple lines of dialogue you never see it yeah it's not addressed for as big of a part of his life as they were yeah apparently it's not that important <laughs> anyway that's probably my only issue with this movie um james it's pretty impressive considering yeah this is not my jam mm. this is not my genre of film but we'll get to but, that well, yeah, we will get, we'll to, get that. to that james cagney was 11 years older than the woman who played his mother on screen who was rosemary <laughs> de camp huh this is Warner Brothers' second highest grossing film of 1942. I have it at 4.8 million. What was the first highest grossing film? I don't know. <sighs> Dang it. Yes, $4.8 million, which in today's, with inflation, uh, comes out to be about $65 million. I'm pretty sure this movie would be in 3D, too, if it came out today. Lots of stage, lots of spectacle, lots they, of flag waving. Yeah, they probably would have tried to do some kind of... Excessive 3D, which would have made that they mean that it wouldn't have earned 65 million. It probably would have earned like 150 because it would probably cost 100 for the 3D conversion. (laughs) The movie's line, my mother thanks you, my father thanks you, my sister thanks you, and I thank you, was voted as the number 97 movie quote by the by AFI, who is also the basis for this list that we use. Um, As Jeff mentioned earlier, it is James Cagney's first and only Oscar was for this movie. Which, again, we will get to that. And my favorite thing that happens in this movie, this is a little bit of trivia, but not really. Um, So there's a scene where he comes home to speak with his wife, and she's apparently made lunch or dinner. I'm not sure what time of day it is. And she uh, he asks what kind of sandwiches she has made, and he asks bacon or ham. And she says, bacon. And I loved that. <laughs> so I wrote down, he eats bacon sandwiches. A giant box giant, of candy. Yeah. I liked the next line. Something about good. Ham makes like him feel self-conscious. Myself. Yes, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like feeling self-conscious. Ham <laughs> makes him feel self-conscious. Awesome. <laughs> quick side note. Yes. Real quick. Uh, Karen, you asked what the number, number one, one grossing yeah. movie for Warner Brothers, well, for Warner Brothers was Desperate Journey, which what is that? starred Errol Flynn and Ronald Reagan. <laughs> we were discussing Ronald Reagan and Cohen. Yeah. Which you're going to bring up Not in a minute, Cohen, right? Cagney. Cagney. Quit. Oh, my stand goodness. Stand my talking points. <sighs> Lindsay, continue. Okay, so... We're going to move into some uh, trivia about James Cagney, because obviously as I was researching, I found 
myself going through wormholes of I want to know more about the people who did this and the people who did that. Yes. So according to James, James Cagney's autobiography, which is entitled Cagney by Cagney, and those who are interested, it was published by Doubleday and Company Incorporated in 1976 and was ghostwritten by showbiz biographer Jack McCabe. So apparently, um, a mafia planned to murder Cagney by dropping a several hundred pound key leg light on top of him, which was stopped at the insistence of George Raft. Cagney at the time was president of the uh, Screen Actors Guild, or, you know, SAG, as we know it now, and was determined not to let the mob infiltrate the industry. Raft used his many mob connections to cancel the hit. Interesting. Will you please look up who George Raft was? Yeah, I need to look that up. Ask you, man. I'll continue on while you do that. I will look that up. Because by the time I get to the end of my trivia, you'll um, I will know. You'll have hopefully will know. Originally a very left wing Democrat activist during the 1930s, James Cagney later later switched his viewpoint and became progressively more conservative with age. He supported his friend. Ronald Reagan's <laughs> campaigns for the governorship of California in 1966 and 1970, as well as his presidential campaigns in 1980 and 1984. President Reagan delivered the eulogy at James Cagney's funeral in 1986. Oh, but I wish Reagan could deliver the eulogy at my funeral. So see, that was kind of funny that mm-hmm. Ronald Reagan, technically his film beat his film. So who is... That uh, is funny. Oh my gosh, that is... Who's, uh, who is George Raft? George Raft. I kept getting Joe Ranf, which was the guy from no, Toy George Story. No, George Raft. R A F T. Yeah, I got him. Uh, is there anything else to talk about while I look him up? Yeah, I'm just I'm getting to my last <laughs> okay, one, okay, so I ahead. want you I'm to get on top of that. Thank you. Again, in his autobiography, Cagney mentions that while in the chorus of the musical Pitter Patter, he earned fifty five dollars a week, of which he sent forty dollars a week home to his mother. As the salary increased, so did the amount he sent back home. In The Public Enemy, he earned $400 a week, sending over $300 back home. Until his mother passed, he never kept more than 50% of his earnings. He sent over 50% of his earnings home. Nice Who is George Raft? George Raft was actually another uh, film actor and a a dancer. Oh, okay. Who was in a lot of gangster movies. In the thirties and the forties, apparently now, had some mob ties. Then, uh, well, he was first off, he was mostly known for his gangster roles in some like it hot, the original Scarface. Oh, okay. Um, <gasps> he spats. Apparently, he spats. Is he spats for in some like it hot? Uh, he he must be. be. Um, he looks like he did have real life association like with the New York mob, uh, which made him just that much more. Uh, closer to do those roles that he actually was associated with it and yeah so he was he was another actor who just had connections to it so that's kind of cool apparently uh yeah yeah when you see okay yeah so going along what you said yeah cagney's wife billy once received a phone call telling her that cagney was dead cagney alleged that having failed to scare i'm assuming raft yeah, Cagney alleged that having failed to scare, oh, having failed to scare Cagney and the guild off, they sent a hitman to kill him. And then on hearing about the rumor, that's when George Raff called off the hit. Nice. So basically, yeah. That's I just found interesting. it interesting that they had a hit on him. Mm-hmm. And George, and so like it's a Klieg giant... light. It was a Klieg light. Sorry Klieg for light. any of my theater friends who are listening to this and we're I screwed screaming. up. The Klieg light. Yeah. Who are screaming the pronunciation at me. That's not the right pronunciation. I knew I was saying it wrong. <laughs> so that's actually my end of trivia. So now we are on to um, 
Yes, Karen, he did play Spence. Our ranking. I knew it was. And, um, ahem, sorry. <laughs> our ranking and our personal feelings on the yes. film. So this sits at number 98. It actually, what did we say? It went up. It went it up. It moved up two spots. It was originally at number 100. Yep. And for anyone keeping track, um, number 100 is now Ben-Hur. Ben-Hur dropped 28 places. And this one actually moved up a couple places. So, as our society has moved forward, this movie is more treasured, apparently. Now, what is um, what is your opinion about... I think it's okay where it sits. It might be able to be ranked a tiny bit higher, but it's... Looking at what's above it... Yeah. And I've... there's movies above it, and we'll get to this when we as we move up the list, but looking what's above it... I, there's some movies that I don't think should be ranked that low anyway. Mm-hmm. So... I, it's good. It's good where it is. And I would agree. Like I, I wouldn't. I would see it somewhere in the top in in the nineties somewhere. That's good because I felt like it was a. It's a good it's, movie. It's a good story of someone who was important to America, but. But. This is the the qualification I have for it. To me, the movie, the higher up the movie is, the more influence it should has it should have had on. The film community and um, storytelling and direction and stuff like that. It's There's nothing really in this besides, I guess, that big panning shot you talked yeah. about that really stands out to me. Which for, I feel I feel for the time that the movie came out in, because it, it, again, and I don't mean to harp on the war portions of it, but because it, it had a section about, like, telling the stuff going on during World War One, and then it obviously was during World War Two. it had that impact because of the time that it was released in, mm-hmm. and I feel like that also aided in its popularity. Um, uh, obviously, yeah, <laughs> Karen's opinion of Dove makes well, sense. Well, at the end of it, at the end, when Roosevelt, you know, he's getting him, giving, um, Cohen the metal or right. I don't know the technology the metal and he's saying like you know people need to do what they can for their country and I'm like oh of course it was obviously of trying course. to get a public this came right t- came out right at the beginning of World War Two right it totally makes sense and I mean it it was a I I so I agree yeah and, and it it could be anywhere yeah, in the top nineties well yeah that makes but sense <laughs> it was still a very good I I, I thoroughly enjoyed the movie um, I. But I, I mean, I'm, I'm a person that likes, like, I, I like old Abbott and Costello movies and Marx Brothers stuff. I like older movies, um, but it's still, I, I had never seen this movie, Lindsay. You never saw I've never it. seen this movie either. In fact, we, I rented it, rented it, borrowed it from the library, and we watched it, we finished watching it 10 minutes before we started recording yes. this. <laughs> we were watching, uh, but yeah, we, we had never, yeah, neither, neither Shank or I had actually seen this film prior to, to now um and i actually i enjoyed it a lot more than i expected to i honestly, i did too it was it, it moved very good for a 1940s movie a 1930s 40s or even some of the 50s movies certainly better than ben-hur um, did yeah because ben-hur was a little more drawn out uh but it was an epic again it's a different type of film but it's still i i i thoroughly enjoyed it and i didn't realize so many of the songs that were in it were from cohen at all I really did not understand. <laughs> like, I mean, like I knew half the songs. If you watch these, this movie, you will, you will find yourself will more than songs. likely going, oh, oh, I know Singing that song. Singing along with yeah. the songs, yeah. And not knowing why, but it's because you've heard these songs before. You just didn't know it was from him and that they were also in this movie. But I enjoyed it. I, I thought it was a great film. and I actually really liked it too. And as I was saying earlier, this is not a movie I 
would seek out on my own no. and watch. I'm not a fan of black and white. I'm not a huge fan of musical movies, I guess. I mean, I am, but I'm not. I'm kind of picky. So, I mean, for the not my expectations, but my interest level, it, it was good. Like, if I was going to start collecting all the movies on the AFI Top 100, I, I would definitely do my best to seek this one out if it was not readily available, because mm-hmm. I really liked it. And James Cagney did a really good job in it. I mean, he was he acted very, very well for the film. And I can, again, as I said earlier, I can see why he was nominated and won the Oscars, because he did a good job. Uh, especially the the scene in the you know when his father is, is is dying, it was a very well well done scene, very emotional, and I give him props for it. Hear that, James Cagney? Props. <laughs> you can't hear it. You I'm can't sorry. hear this. So, what is the next? The movie? next movie is Blade Runner at number ninety seven from nineteen eighty two with Harrison Ford. With Harrison Ford, and, it's a sci fi movie. It's our first sci fi film for the it's list. Going to be exciting. And it's the newest. Oh, so no, no, fu- Toy no, Story. Toy Story I was the Toy Story was newer. Well, hey, I'll have a whole technology section for there this one. There we go. All Yay. Right. And I'm sure I'll have trivia and whatnot. Yes, Blade Runner will be a lot longer. We'll have more content for that one. So, so yeah. All right. Well. So, for, for Top Shelf, I'm Lindsay. I'm Jeff. And with us is... Karen. Karen. <laughs> and as we say, it's all uphill from here. It's all uphill from here. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. For more information about this and other programming, visit our official website at www.ghostat.net.